Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Good to be with you this morning. I'm Lindsay. Uh, I am the pastor at our Springbrook location. Um, so hi from there. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good to be here, though. Uh, happy Fourth of July. I expected twelve of you to be here, so you get extra points for coming to church on an actual holiday. Way to go! Um, I'm going to read our scripture for us, and we'll jump in uh, today. We're going to read it all in one chunk. Um, because that's how I like to do it. So uh, we're going to read out of Psalm 131 today. Uh, This is our second week, and we're spending the summer in the Psalms. Uh, So our second week. So Psalm 131, if you want to follow along, they'll be behind me, or uh, you can go on your phone or Bible. If you brought a Bible and you came to church on July 4th, you get like triple points. So please see me after. Um, uh, Actually, John will give you five bucks. He's in the back. You can find him back there. Uh, (laughs) All right. Uh, Psalm 131. Uh, It tells us, uh, uh, this is a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a Psalm of David. Verse one, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself, like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, now and always. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, you're getting it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, thank you. I feel like I pray the same thing every time I stand on this stage, but I'm just so grateful for this room uh, because in my life uh, and in my experience, you are in the business of showing up here. And so uh, we just ask for that today. I pray um, over the next few minutes that you would um, teach us how to read the Psalms in a way that um, will make them come alive for us. Uh, that will teach us how to pray them, live them, feel them, uh, breathe them, take them in. Uh, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, all right. So like I said, we are week two into uh, a, a summer series in the Psalms. We do this every summer at the Vineyard. Um, it's one of the fun things that both locations do and we do together. I love when we get to share things together. Um, and this is an important one, a big one, because it's like, We, on purpose, uh, every single summer, want to take a big, deep, intentional breath all together, uh, all at the same time. So that's what we're going to do today. Rather than like uh, 
diving into the intricacies of one particular psalm, though we'll kind of do that. Um, I really want to talk today about how to uh, read the psalms, uh, how to learn them, how to read them, uh, the things I just prayed for. So, uh, But I think we have to talk about it because the psalms are a little bit different um, than reading or studying other books in the Bible. Um, unlike a lot of the other scriptures, the psalms, uh, most of the other books of the Bible are written um, by one or, or a small handful of people. Um, but the psalms are, are written by so many different authors. And so it makes it a little different to engage them. Like David wrote most of them. Um, and that's usually who we attribute things to. But we also have psalms from Moses and Solomon and uh, Asaph, who's David's worship leader, not David Hawkins' worship leader, David King, David's worship leader. Um, uh, the, the family of Korah wrote 11. There's uh, two guys, Ethan and Heman, the Ezraites. There's uh, all kinds of authors. And then uh, there are dozens and dozens that don't even have a clear author, like 50 psalms that we don't even know who uh, wrote them. And and so, so it's interesting. We kind of have to learn how to engage a different uh, type of, of reading. The Psalms, they're not primarily informational or historical, but instead they're uh, poetry and poems and songs. They are rich in story and rich in metaphor and rich in nuance and imagery and depth. They are like the English teacher's dream in a book. And anyone who's pretty logical is worst nightmare, maybe. I don't know. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was writing this sermon and I bumped into my favorite uh, teacher of all time in Barnes and Noble, uh, Miss Freeman. Miss Freeman is an English teacher. If you went to Maryville High School uh, a billion years ago, then she might be your favorite too. But um, she, I see her in Barnes and Noble, which is where you want to see your favorite high school English teacher, right? Uh, because then she thinks I'm reading still, which I think is very important. So, um, so that was good for me. Um, and, and so I was working on the sermon, and when I bumped into her, I remembered uh, years ago at Springbrook, um, when we were talking about how to read the Psalms, I remembered this poem that we read in her class. Uh, and it was, um, I can't remember if we spent one whole class session or maybe two. Like, there's a chance we spent three hours on this um, trying to figure out what this poem meant. So uh, I want to read it to you. It feels like to me sometimes uh, my engagement with this poem feels sometimes how uh, engaging this psalms feels. Has anyone ever read The Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams? Anyone? Oh, one? Two? Okay, John's got a buck for all of you. Um, <laughs> I can't even see John anymore. He's just like hiding. Okay, okay, here's the poem. I'm going to read it to you. It'll be on the screen too. The Red Wheelbarrow. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's it. That's the whole poem. 16 words. That's how many. Uh, we spent three hours in a class full of 15-year-olds trying to impress their favorite teacher, trying to figure out what this poem means. Anyone have a guess? No. <laughs> no, no one has a guess what it's about. Uh, I can tell you what it's not about. Not about a red wheelbarrow. That's what I found out. Uh, the, the, that's incredibly confusing, though, right? Like the title of it is Red Wheelbarrow. It's, it's incredibly confusing. Um, like, I am a poetry lover, and I dig nuance and imagery and all of those things. I absolutely love it. But sometimes poems, I think, feel like a big trick. Anyone else? Uh, like that. They feel like a big trick, and poets feel like pranksters who are like, you thought this was a poem about a red wheelbarrow, but it's actually about economic injustice in the Northeast, suckers. You know, which... 
is what it's about, allegedly. Um, I Googled it. I preached a sermon at Springbrook last week, Googled it. I Googled it again this week just to be sure. Uh, I think it's about economic injustice in the Northeast, but who knows? Uh, I think for plenty of us, the Psalms can read uh, kind of similar to that. They can read um, a little bit similar. They are amazing sometimes, but also a little bit confusing or uh, overwhelming, or we don't know how to start with them or how to take them. Uh, like sometimes in the Psalms, there are really straightforward lines that make a lot of sense. And we grab those puppies and we put them on a coffee mug and we love them. But then there's also um, lines filled with imagery and nuance. Uh, They are multi-layered poems, multi-leveled prayers and songs. Uh, And so they say some weird things sometimes. For example, Psalm 19 tells, uh, tells us we should be eating our Bibles. Like the actual literal original language is eat the Torah in order to be filled up with God. Uh, Psalm 148 in some translations invites dragons to praise the Lord. So, you know, are dragons real? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. Um, you can look it up. Sometimes the Psalms are absolutely bonkers. Uh, and I, I think assuming that we just know how to read them isn't very kind to us or honoring to us or kind to the Psalms or honoring uh, to the Psalms. I think uh, it keeps not knowing how to read them keeps so many of us from really uh, engaging the Psalms or enjoying them or reading them uh, for all they're worth. So, If you have ever felt confused or intimidated or overwhelmed or maybe underwhelmed by the Psalms, that doesn't make you crazy or like a bad Jesus follower. I think it just makes you really, really normal, like a person and maybe not a poetry teacher. Uh, So um, the Psalms, the reality is that there's just a lot there. There's a lot to them. um, And they each one, each word, each line kind of acts like a spiral staircase. This is how I always think of them. Like a spiral staircase taking us deeper and deeper and deeper into um, meaning and uh, impact on our life and our freedom and all of those things. So Um, I have a quote that I love um, that we'll put on the screen. It's by a Jewish theologian named Michael Fishbane. and, And he says this about how to read the Psalms. He says, everything depends on how we read, how we enter the magic circle of a text's meaning, on how we smuggle ourselves into its words and allow the text, the texture of a text to weave its web around us. I love that. How do we read the Psalms? We learn how to smuggle ourselves into its words, allow its texture to weave a web uh, around us. Now, this may make uh, the Psalms feel like a lot of work. And honestly, they kind of are. Uh, But please hear me. I think they're worth it. I really think they're worth the work of learning how to read and how to engage them. So um, in the rest of my time today, I'm just going to offer you uh, two lenses that have been really helpful for me personally in learning how to read the Psalms, how to pray the Psalms, um, how to help me smuggle myself into the words and allow them to weave a a web around me. So um, while we talk about these two things, we're going to also put them in practice uh, together today because it helps me. uh, I say this a lot. It helps me to practice in this room what I want to do outside of this room. Have you ever been there and you hear and Aaron preaches like, every week, the greatest sermon you've ever heard. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. And then you get in the parking lot and you're like, what, what was that about? You know, like that. It, it, and that, so I, I like to practice in here when I want to be out there. So uh, here's the first one. Here's the first lens uh, that's incredibly helpful for me. I stole it from an Old Testament scholar that I uh, love named Walter Brueggemann. 
Uh, he wrote a book called The Message of the Psalms, which if you are interested in further reading, The Message of the Psalms, it's super dense, but if you want to deep dive into it, uh, it's a really, really good one. Um, but for me, the most helpful part of this book uh, is that he offers a way of, of categorizing the Psalms into three categories. He says that all of the Psalms fit in one or two, uh, sometimes three, but one or two of these three categories uh, that I think are really helpful. He says we have Psalms of Orientation, we have psalms of disorientation, and we have psalms of reorientation or new orientation. So essentially this. In the book of Psalms, there are poems, prayers, and songs of orientation. Psalms about uh, creation, about where we come from, uh, worship, belonging, uh, standing before God. Psalms uh, that serve as foundations about what we believe about God and us and the world and how all of those things collide. You knit me together in my mother's womb. A psalm of orientation. This is where we come from. And then there are psalms of disorientation songs and poems written about the loss of identity or in seasons of life that are confusing or feel helpless or do not make any sense. Uh, songs written from a place of mental or spiritual confusion or maybe a place of sadness or lament. These are my favorite psalms, also Bono's favorite songs. Uh, so uh, the psalms of disorientation. Uh, and then there are psalms of reorientation or new orientation written with reminders of what's coming. Uh, reminders of hope and rescue and renewal, songs uh, about uh, where creation is going, about resurrection, about uh, our paths into greater hope and our paths into greater freedom. Uh, beautiful reminders that disorientation is never the end of the story for people of God. Uh, these categories are so helpful to me because they help me figure out what I'm reading. Um, if this is too basic, uh, please forgive me, but one of my great struggles with the church is that we talk a lot about what we should do, and I feel like we don't spend enough time talking about how to actually do that. Um, and so this is literally how I use these categories. I sit down, and I read a psalm, and as I read through it, I quite literally ask this question, which, which lens am I supposed to see this through? Which category, is this a psalm of orienting about where I come from? Is this a psalm about disorientation? Again, my faves. Uh, or is this a psalm about reorientation? Is this about what I'm supposed to be looking for? Maybe not how things are, but how we hope that they would be. And this helps me. So here's an example. Uh, I want to read you a little bit about of Psalm 109. Uh, this is a psalm written by David, um, and I think you'll see he's pretty upset with someone. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from it. He says this. He says, let his years be few. Subtle. Uh, may his children become fatherless and his wife a widow, which is somehow a really nice way to say to, I hope he dies. Um, May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all that he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. That is I just read that. That's literally what it says. Let no one be kind to him. Uh, let no one pity him. May all his offspring die and may his name disappear from human memory. If anyone's looking for a life verse, um, Psalm 109. So, 
before, I don't know what a life verse is, so I use that joke a lot, just hoping it sticks. So anyway, okay. So before these uh, categories, I would have read this Psalm 109 and been kind of confused by it, uh, giggled about it. I, I, it feels um, wrong to call it like aspirational or informational or prescriptive. Those feel like not the right words. Uh, like this Psalm on a surface level, I feel like would put someone at risk for justifying some pretty horrific uh, things. Um, and I just feel like the Bible has been used enough to justify some terribly horrific things. So that's not super interesting uh, to, for me to want to continue. So for me, probably what I would have done is I would have read Psalm 109 um, and then I, I, I would have printed it in my pocket to keep it to use to curse people when I get mad at them. Just kidding. Um, honestly, I just would have missed it. I would have read it and been like, he was mad. Okay, uh, like maybe I would try to find one line to like pull out of it and put on Instagram so you knew I read my Bible or whatever. You know, like that, that's kind of how I would have engaged this psalm. But uh, when I use the lens of categories with a psalm like this one, um, when I read Psalm 109 in the category of disorientation, then this becomes an entirely new thing. Because the truth is, this is a web I have been woven into uh, more than once, more than I ever want you to know about, uh, that I think a lot of us have. Um, uh, if we have ever um, felt, I don't know, thoughts about, we don't want to admit that we think these thoughts about another person, right? We don't want to admit that we've ever felt this way about another person, but David did, and then he wrote it down, and I have. And you have maybe on the way to church this morning. I don't know. Um, when, when we read this psalm in its right category, uh, it, feels, it feels to me how it feels to be human, how it feels to be betrayed, how it feels to be belittled, uh, inconvenienced, stolen from, embarrassed by, hurt by someone else. It, when I read Psalm 109 as a psalm of disorientation, it's like, this is how it feels when someone hurts me and I just want them to hurt worse than I hurt. That's what David's doing. Uh, Psalms of disorientation, they have the ability to do this for us, to allow us to smuggle ourselves and our own experience into their words. Uh, they offer us words and poems and songs and prayers that allow us uh, to offer back to God our hurts, our anger, our experience in his words. That's the, that's the kicker. In his words, it allows us anger in God's language, using his scripture, uh, his words for our expressions. Does this make any sense? Okay. Number two. That's first lens. Uh, second lens that has helped me to engage the Psalms. This one comes from um, a voice that is so, so dear to me, if you know me well. Uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, who's a pa he was a pastor. He died a few years ago. Pastor, author. Uh, he did the message version of the Bible, if you've ever spent any time there. Um, he wrote a book. Uh, this is my second book recommendation of the day. Uh, he wrote a book called Answering God. Um, if, you are, if, if, I, if you've ever asked me for a book on the Psalms, this is the one I've told you about. I Love it. Write it down, buy it, try to read it. It's so, 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 so good. Um, answering God, it's about how to pray the Psalms. Um, and so one of the simple and brilliant things that Peterson does uh, in this book is he hits on the need for us to learn how to put Psalms in their proper uh, context. The categories are helpful with that, but um, essentially what Peterson says is he says, before the Psalms get to us, before they are anything that gets to us, we have to understand that they are part of something. 
They're part of something bigger, uh, something wider. Every single psalm exists, not just on its own, uh, but also as part of the entirety of the scriptures, uh, the layers of the stories of the authors. Uh, This may seem really simple, but learning how to take a step back and see the Psalms as part of a greater something, uh, bigger than one verse or one chapter, it's been so helpful to me in learning how to incorporate the Psalms into my everyday life. Uh, It helps me learn how to put them in categories, um, and it helps me to try to incorporate them in my own prayers. Seeing the Psalms as part of something as multi-layered text uh, drenched in culture, and drenched in story, and drenched in uh, experience and tradition, those things have been so, so helpful to me in seeing the Psalms in a new light. So uh, here's an example of what I mean. Um, When we first learn how to talk, our language, our actual words uh, are drenched in layers and culture and tradition uh, and story. Uh, For example, was anyone here born in the North? Okay, when you were a baby, did someone teach you that people were nice? Or did you learn that people were nice? (laughs) Okay, so when I was a baby, I learned that people are nice because my words are drenched in story and history and tradition and culture. Our words are very, very layered. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, our words carry the unique experience of generation within them. That's why they're so powerful. They carry the experience of generations inside them. And the Psalms exist in the same stream of thinking. They are each and every one infused with layers and layers and layers of unique experience of genetics, traditions, and culture of generations uh, woven into them. In each Psalm, in every word of the Psalms that you read is thousands of years of mercy and thousands of years of hope, and thousands of years of story. Uh, Before they become anything to us, the Psalms exist as part of something. They are filled with layers that I think are worth uncovering in their verses, as well as the layers that they will uncover inside each of us. That's the thing about the Psalms. I think when we learn how to read them for all they're worth, when we learn how to pray them, what happens is that uh, we get to enter into their layers and then the layers of the Psalms enter into us. We enter into thousands of years of experience of what it means to be the people of God and thousands of years of experience of what it means to be the people of God enters into us. Okay, we got three more minutes. For our last three minutes, I wanna do this together. I wanna practice together. I'm just gonna lead you. This is how I would read a psalm. Uh, Maybe it's helpful for your own time. So we're gonna use Psalm 131 that we read just a second ago. Um, I've been reading this psalm a lot lately. It pops up a couple times a week in an app I use called Lectio. If you are looking, if you're like, I wish I spent time with Jesus, I do in my head, but I don't actually in my life. Um, I, I never thought I would recommend an app for spending time with Jesus, but I have one. It's called Lectio. You can look it up right now. I won't be offended. It is fantastic. And this psalm pops up uh, a couple times a week in this app. And, and, and for weeks, for me, it just felt like David wrote a little poem about how great he is and a little bit about how God's pretty good too. Um, and that's kind of how I, I read it. But um, I want to put it through these lenses and categorize it and, and smuggle ourselves uh, into the experience of generations. So uh, we're going to read it again. It was short. So Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. 
I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Doesn't it kind of sound at the beginning that he's um, bragging like in a job interview when someone says, what's your biggest weakness? And he said, oh, it's my humility. I don't concern myself with things too lofty for me to grasp. Um, okay, on, a, on the surface level, before we go down the spiral staircase, on the surface level, it seems like maybe this is a poem about one of those uh, times when the Bible says, this is what we should be like. Like instructions on how to be more uh, like David. But uh, when we read this psalm with the tools that we've talked about today, I think we see a couple of other things. Uh, when we take a few steps down the staircase um, and we engage uh, the psalm, then we have to engage the story of David, uh, who wrote it. Uh, David is, uh, to steal a phrase from Brennan Manning, a bundle of paradoxes. If you know about his life and his story, uh, there are times in David's life when he's like the picture of what we read today, the picture of humility. Uh, the Bible quite literally calls him a man after God's own heart. Uh, David is a leader of freedom. He's a courageous soldier. As a kid, he took down a giant with a couple of rocks. He's incredible. And also, he's a coward. At one point, do you know this? At one point, David fakes a mental illness so he doesn't have to engage this king. Like, he's, he's a coward. He has a man killed because he got that man's wife pregnant, uh, and so he has him killed, which to me feels like very much concerning himself with things outside of his control. Uh, so when we take a few steps down that staircase, as we smuggle ourselves in the world, words, as we see them in their place, layered with culture and tradition and story, uh, then I think it helps us see that maybe this isn't so much uh, a story about a red wheelbarrow, so to speak, a story about be like David, uh, but instead it feels like a psalm of reorientation, a psalm that David probably used to remind him of his own identity, of who God was making him to be, of where God was calling him and inviting him uh, to become. Rather than a prescription of be like this, reorienting psalms have a way of acting uh, in us like a chant or a mantra or a chorus for us to repeat as often as we ever would need to in order to be reminded of who we want to be. This is who I want to be. Uh, this is who I set out to be. I want to be someone who is humble and not proud. Uh, I want to be someone who is able to quiet the hurricane of the shame spiral that lives inside me uh, so that I can rest in the arms of the father like a baby rests in her mother's arms. When uh, I read the Psalms like this, like a, or this Psalm like this, like a chant, reorienting me in my life, then it becomes so much better than a checklist. I hate checklists. I love chance reminding me of who I, I want to be on my deepest, deepest, deepest levels, that it's possible for me uh, to remember that inside uh, my relationship with Jesus, I am as secure as a baby in her mother's arms. I don't feel like that a lot. I don't know about you. And so I need things to remind me, to draw me back. Uh, uh, and, and when I see it, it, it as part of something, I can't help but think of the generations of people before me that have reoriented their lives using the exact same words, using the same words that, that we're reading today. 
And that becomes something I can live inside or something that can live inside me alongside all of the saints of before. They were David's words. And then for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people have used these words to remind them who they want to be. A reminder that, that this is what we believe, that, that this is where our hope is found, that this is where we want to wait. It becomes a psalm to say over and over and over again until it becomes part of us. Part of us in a way that allows us to reorient ourselves toward Jesus, which is where I want to be oriented. I just get so spun around. Anyone else? Uh, so here's what I want to do for our Selah today. David's going to come up, um, and we're just going to sit really quiet, and I'm going to read this psalm again. Here's another trick. This is for free. I only meant to give you two lenses uh, for free. I can't read something once and understand it. You might be able to. It takes me at least three times. <laughs> so if, that, if you're like, I don't know what that said, just keep reading it. Sometimes it'll click. Sometimes it won't, but sometimes it'll click. So I'm going to read it again. Uh, but will you just uh, sit here and quiet? Maybe close your eyes if that helps you. Um, I'm going to read it in a different uh, version. We talked about Eugene Peterson, so I'm going to read it uh, out of the message because we might as well hear how he uh, interprets these words. Um, so I'm just going to read it again. Just, just maybe um, allow the Holy Spirit to bring you a, a line, some line, some phrase, some word that you can smuggle yourself into uh, today and for the rest of the week. So, Psalm 131. God, I am not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. So Father, uh, I thank you for these words put on a page thousands of years ago by a man after your own heart. A man who quite literally won great battles and quite literally lost great battles. And I pray that, um, that this week you would remind us maybe to re-engage these exact words over and over again. Uh, so that they become in us uh, like a chant, like a chorus, like something that would come and live inside of us and say, reminding us that our souls can be baby content. That um, when our anxiety rages, that, that we don't have to muddle with things outside of our control, that we can trust that you control all things. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to reorient ourselves toward you uh, through the Psalms, that you would teach us how to use them and engage them and learn them and read them for all that they're worth. In your name we pray, amen.